0: you would just love to have? Any of you have a dream car? Penny? the The old Mustangs. Penny would like to have an old Mustang. Okay, anybody else have a dream car? My first car was a 55 Ford. I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford Chevys. I had to buy a Ford. I'm serious, 55 and 56 Chevys were a whole lot more expensive than 55 and 56 Fords, so I had a 55 Ford, but my dream car would be a 55 to 56 Chevy, with all the bells and whistles that I could have put on it. So, nobody else has a dream car here. Everybody else is satisfied? You've already achieved your dream car somewhere along the way? John? Well, my father would like a 62 Corvette Stingray. Okay. That wasn't yours, though, was it, John? No, I'm I'm content with what I have, Okay. Okay. Nobody else want, has a dream car in this whole group. Okay. So Penny, she wants one of the older Mustangs. Okay. So Penny sees this ad in the paper for whatever exactly exactly what she's always looked for. Okay. In this car. And for whatever reason she can't get there to go look at it but so she sends Randy to go look at it. Randy gets there and He looks at this car that's for sale, no engine, no transmission, four flat tires, no windows, no seats, and says, Penny, I think you're going to be really disappointed in this car. I don't really think you want it. Yes, it is a 65 Mustang, and yes, at one time it had a 289 engine in it. And yes, at one time it might have had a four-speed in it, but it doesn't have any of those things now. Well, just as desperate as that car sounds, the scriptural description of us is much worse. So, you know, when somebody might come and look at us and figure we might have some profit to offer the world or to offer the church, in ourselves we have nothing. Nothing. Right, we have nothing. So today we're going to launch into this study of the Holy Spirit and in the work of the believer in the life of the believer. Um, these notes I've made available to you today are intended to be two weeks. We'll see whether that works out or not. But that's where we're headed. Okay. So just don't just remember that old, dilapidated, broken down, missing lots of important pieces are as we consider what the Holy Spirit has to begin with when he begins to do the work of salvation in our lives. So if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, a couple of familiar passages we we're going to look at here this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, and now this passage has one of the Brightest verses of all the scripture in it, when it has Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. That's the wonderful bright spot out of the chapter. But before we get that far, Paul says in verse 1, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So it doesn't need a lot of explanation. It's pretty plain, pretty clear. We were dead had no ability in our, of our own, separated from God. Our whole life was focused on doing things that were worldly or satanic. and much, much, like, like that Mustang in our little story. We weren't of much value. We are of absolutely zero value. And then over to Romans chapter 3, please. <clears throat> Again, I know these are familiar passages and so forth, but uh, Romans chapter three, beginning with verse ten, whole list of quotes from the, I think mostly from the Psalms, and it says this, beginning in verse ten: "As it is written, there is none righteous; no, not one. There is none who understands; there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside; they have together become unprofitable. There is none." Who does good? not No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery on their ways, and a way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit as we sit here today? probably at least most of us, professing to be Christians, professing to be believers in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. Well, he starts with regeneration. He moves through the entire process of sanctification. For some of us, that is a longer period of time than we would like to acknowledge, how long he's been working on us and what we still see when we look in the spiritual mirror. For some, it's a short matter, uh, but it's all according to God's plan and God's processing, but begins with regeneration, moves all the way through sanctification, and eventually takes us to glorification. We know that, obviously, that we know that salvation depends on the work of the entire Trinity. Christ is the one that died on the cross for our sins. The Father is given demonstrated in the Scripture as being the planner, if you want to use that expression, though I believe all... All three members of the Godhead were equally involved in that, but the planners of our salvation. So as we continue to move on with this, as people have studied the Bible, the conclusions they've drawn that there are two levels or two types of grace discovered in the Scripture. This was referred to by those that have studied the Scripture as common grace. It is a grace that keeps... The world in place. It is the grace that gives rain to the unbeliever as well as rain to the believer. It is the grace that has made, um, allowed many, 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 many uh, people that are as far away from God as possible to become rich, to become successful, to become famous. God just created this world and created us and still just has this interest in us, which is displayed in this matter of common grace. And then there is the matter of what is referred to as efficacious grace, that grace when God specifically and focuses on the one that is going to come to personal faith in the finished work of Christ, and that has obviously a transforming effect or result. As I thought about this, I, and, I, and we just last, couple of weeks, we've just looked at John 14 through 16, and then in John 16, we find that one of the, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit uh, in John 16 was to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I don't know that I've ever seen this anywhere else, and you don't have to take it very far. You can scratch out your notes as soon as, you, as, soon as I talk about it, but it seems to me that there's also like two levels of conviction. The world in itself, uh, Romans chapter 1 tells us that man is without excuse because of the natural creation around them, the natural world around them. Man is held responsible for failing to recognize that there was a creator that created all that we enjoy and all that we live in. They're just held responsible. And whether somebody denies it or whatever, um, there is this matter of the world being under conviction. It tells us specifically that the Holy Spirit was going to come to convict the world this matter of natural revelation uh, one of my professors back in college used to illustrate it he, he said it's like you know like walking up to a piece of property and it has po- posted signs that are no trespassing signs and that person that walks up to that piece of property puts hands o- both hands over their over their eyes and says i'm going to ignore those signs i'm going to ignore what i'm looking at and i'm just going to go on the property anyway that is what the unsafe person does with god's creation every day they blind themselves to the reality of who and that God did what we have and then they just walk all over it. So it seems to me that there is a sense where there's a, again, this common conviction and then this more more specific, or if you want to refer to it, though I, did, I didn't even do that, but, but just more specific con, uh, conviction in the life of the believer. And then that just also is so coupled with the act of regeneration. Sometimes, some of us will recount our personal testimony probably as having, we can remember experiencing conviction, can I use the word guilt? We remember experiencing that for a period of time before we came to the point of conversion, before we came to the point of expressing faith in the finished work of Christ, okay? Okay. I remember in my own personal experience that was true. That doesn't make it, make it right. It doesn't make it biblical. Okay, it doesn't make mean that I'm theologically correct, but I just remember being just miserable for quite a while because I had known the truth for so long and then didn't even realize I was rejecting the truth until certain situations happened in my life and realized that I was just ignoring God. And I had this sense of, genuine conviction, but did nothing else happen until the night that the Lord saved me and brought me out of my darkness into his marvelous light. But that process of conviction seemed to be ongoing for me. Now, maybe it was all very quick for you, very all compact. Maybe the gospel was presented to you, you were convicted. But I had heard the gospel so many times. My parents took me, my mother used to brag about taking me to church, I think when I was eight days old or something like that. No nurseries back then, by the way, right? They just took you and uh, took you out when you were bad, and brought you back in when you're a little bit better, and hoped that you'd stay better, better for a while. But anyway, just this whole matter of conviction. So the first thing that we see, and and don't everything I'm going to talk about now, some of it's not. We can't put a chronological order to it. Uh, we can put a logical order to it. We can put what we think it happened in a certain way, but to to actually take and. Line it up exactly is a little difficult to do. But the first thing that we come to is the matter of regeneration. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Regeneration. We'll look at some passages first and then we'll talk about it a bit more. This passage is not specifically dealing with the matter of our salvation but rather dealing with the matter of the regeneration of of, uh, creation itself. Genesis 19, verse 28. Now read verse 27. Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Peter's looking at the end game now. He wants to know what the good results are from their having been obedient and following Christ. Christ responds... Surely I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, I don't know if all of you have the word regeneration there in that text. Again, I'm reading from the from the New King James, but it is the word that translates regeneration pretty much exactly. It's it's the two combinations it's a combination of two words to be born again, to be regenerated a second time. This is dealing with <coughs> creation itself, a much broader scope. But this is one of two terms, what places in the New Testament this specific word is used. And I wanted to show it to you. Turn back with me now from Matthew 19 to Titus 3. This is the second place this word appears. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, I believe it is. And there again in Titus 3.5 it says, Not by works of righteousness as we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by the, his grace we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so we have here, these are the two term times that the word is used this specific word is used in the New Testament. One, regenerating the entire creation. One, specifically referring to individual believers and their conversion, their regeneration. Turn now back to John chapter 1. This is probably the passage where most of us identify the idea of regeneration. Is from, from John chapter 3. Excuse me, I think I just said John chapter 1, but it's John chapter 3. I want you to just note as I... We read down through this passage and talk about it, that this is in an Old Testament setting. It's prior to the cross. It is Christ dealing specifically with an Old Testament saint, an Old Testament believer. It is also in some glimpse into the knowledge that they had without maybe the fullest understanding that we have the privilege of having from looking back, not only through time, but looking back through the entirety of Scripture. So we know the story. Um, Jesus here, as John recounts here, now again, John is writing probably 60, 65 years after the actual event. That just historical setting it doesn't mean anything. I certainly believe that everything John wrote is accurate and and, uh, thereby because the Holy Spirit wants it to be there, but it is a... Uh, something that's happened in the prior time as far as where, where, where John's at as he writes. So <clears throat> Christ is there and um, this Pharisee named Nicodemus comes to him and uh, he compliments Christ on and tells him, you know, we, we know your teacher come from God. We've, we've uh, seen what you've done. We've observed what you've done. And uh, so probably in all fairness, Nicodemus was trying to get in good with, with Jesus a little bit, trying to curry his favor a little bit, uh, somehow gain whatever benefits he could, sort of ride on the coattails, I guess you could say, of, of uh, Christ at this particular time. And Jesus answered and said to him, "Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Christ just comes right out and just probably puts Nicodemus's head on a spin. It's probably spinning faster than he can imagine. What in the world? Do I just came here to have a conversation. You know, I just came here to see what's happening. Uh came here to find out if we could work together or whatever. And Christ said, uh, you know, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God right now. We're not going to talk about what I'm doing or who I am. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God. Okay. What's happening? And in the midst of all that, and obviously Nicodemus was a pretty good listener because in the midst of that, uh, Christ tells him he must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can that happen? How is that possible? Now, maybe in your minds if you haven't had a recent study in this, you're wondering what about the two words in Matthew 19 and the word in Titus chapter 3 and now we're talking about this word born again here in John chapter 3 and again some of you may have a little bit, does anybody have a different expression than born again? Anybody have born from above? No? Okay. So it is a different word but it it also has the same significance, the same meaning of this second birth, the second time um I think the idea of the new birth is a very common fact that we know as as believers. But he has, you know, he has these questions, and he just automatically can only picture a physical birth. He only pictures, pictures whatever took place physically, um, and so he has to take that question to that to that area. And Jesus' answer was, "Most surely I say to you." Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So I, I believe that the water reference here is a, water, a reference to physical birth. I believe it has to do with the, what we would refer to as the breaking of, of, the, of the mother's water, and that the word spirit here has to do with the Holy Spirit. Not everybody believes that. Some believe that this is just a reference to uh, some kind of a spiritual renewal on our own, in our own, in our lives, somehow working from the inside out. <clears throat> I don't believe that's what it's talking about. I don't believe that's what's possible. So I believe that we see here Christ saying that this matter of regeneration or being born again is going to be something that is beyond explanation, beyond un- complete understanding and comprehension. And he contrasts that, the water and the spirit, with mortal and immortal. And then in verse 7 he says, Do not marvel, I said to you, you must be born again. Then wind blows where it wishes, and you have hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. So that verse to me, governs or controls what spirit means earlier in the text. This is a pretty consistent with the idea that this being a reference to the Holy Spirit of God or being a reference to the third person of the Godhead. And so Christ takes, makes maybe what is a sort of a simple statement about being born of the water and born of the spirit and then clarifies it before the context goes very far and said this one must be, must be born of the spirit. You've all heard uh, numerous references to this, where it talks about here that they must be born again, in uh, verse uh, seven. Uh, again, it is a simple little word. It's a word that shows obligation. it shows shows like, um, can I say logical progress, logical conclusion? Uh, you know, it's just a logical. Fitting all the criteria that we know. I mean, we just described, found out what the scripture describes us as. Now, Christ doesn't give Nicodemus, you know, all that, all that content right here, all those verses right now, but he does expect Nicodemus to be able to follow through and understand what's, what's taking place here. It's always a. It, this is a passage that always intrigues me just because of the, the illustration that, that uh, Christ uses in comparing the spirit with the wind. And again, you remember that the word that we get spirit from can also be translated by the word breath or by the word wind. So it's a very interesting illustration that he uses. But uh, he says just as you only see the results of the wind. okay? You don't actually see the wind. The wind blows, but without something in the wind, you're not really seeing anything. The wind just is there. You feel it. But you're not seeing it, and the spirit you don't see him, but we see the results we see the results here before us we've seen the results of Gods answer prayer we've just seen so many things that answer that question and so it's just a it's just a, a reminder to me always when people start talking about the Holy Spirit and take, to take those thoughts too far is that that's not the primary way the Holy Spirit demonstrates himself Demo- you know you, it just people are looking to be able to see him in something and he is just going to be there doing something he is something so uh, we say all that and then just uh, in, down in verse 9 Nicodemus answered and said to him how can these things be and Jesus answered and said to him are you the teacher of Israel you do not know these things most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And again, I think it's very important for us to note that Christ expected Nicodemus to have some sense of understanding here. I can't. I can't answer the question why he doesn't. Um, maybe he wasn't a believer at this point, uh, but. Just doesn't understand. Um, I don't want to get too far afield with what I'm thinking, but just the there are things that are presented to us in the Old Testament that are facts. They're just there. Okay, Adam's sin, for instance, that is a historical biblical fact. Adam sinned, and that took place in Genesis. But it takes us clear to Romans chapter 5, and in some ways probably 1 Corinthians 15, takes us all that way to show that Adam was that first Adam that was to sin as the head of the race, as the head of all humanity, and consequently as that representative brings down condemnation on all of humanity because of his sin, because of Adam's sin. We don't see that developed to the point in Genesis that's later developed to that point in Romans chapter 5. But at the same time, the Israelites would have understood their their corporate sinfulness as well as their individual sinfulness. And so there just is this matter of things being stated in the Old Testament and then being defined or explained further in the New Testament. That is often referred to as progressive revelation, where God progressively give, gave man revelation along the way. So this matter of regeneration, uh, being born again, uh, Nicodemus in Christ conversation, basically just boils down to Christ says, you must be born again. And this birth is from the Holy Spirit, and this birth is something that you will not understand, you will not comprehend, you will only see the results of what God has done in an individual's life, <coughs> in an individual circumstance. In John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, we're told there that, of course, that it's not of the will of flesh or man, but it's the will of God that accomplishes all this. Turn with me to James one eighteen. So, the Holy Spirit is the what we refer to as the agent of regeneration, and... Um, the word of God, of course, is the, that which is the means of regeneration. <clears throat> James chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to read verse, from verse 16. <clears throat> Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift from is above, and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And that the word of truth is a reference to, of course, the scripture and the means that is used. And then you're not very far away, turn over to First Peter chapter 1, I think. <clears throat> 1 Peter Peter 1, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass, the grass withers, withers and the flower falls away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever." And we won't turn there, but i thinking about this, always reminded of Romans ten seventeen, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that which we have in this particular setting. <clears throat> turn back with me if you haven't gone too far to John chapter 3 for just a moment. <clears throat> I want to just note <clears throat> some of the things that Christ says here very, just very quickly. Just notice them. <clears throat> In case you think I'm contagious, I don't think I am. I was at a tractor pull the last two days. I didn't think it was really very dusty with all the uh, <coughs> rain we've had, but but possibly the uh, fumes that I inhaled all the, those two days in the we were we were in the horse arena at the farm show, so it got sort of thick in there at times. But uh, so anyway, um, so I, I wouldn't stand here and hack and hack on you if I thought I was sick. I think I'm just trying to get this junk out of my System. Um, so, anyway, what, what uh, Christ says here in this passage, uh, John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said, And most surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, that's one of the things he says here. And, um, and then in uh, verse 4, Nicodemus realizes he can't redo the physical um, matter. And in verse 5, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So uh, Christ here demonstrates to Nicodemus the necessity of something happening to him before he can do, uh, receive the opportunity to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom was, it was on, can I say, it was like on everybody's lips, uh, you know, we might, we might have second coming as sort of a, you know, everybody's looking for the second coming. For these Israelites, <clears throat> they were looking for the kingdom. They were looking for a physical kingdom that would throw the Romans into the sea and establish Israel as the world power and the world authority. And so this kingdom issue is just very, very important to Nicodemus. It would have been very, very important to him uh, along the way. So, done all that, look at John, the passage of Matthew and, and Titus, looked at John chapter 3, and the definition, I think, which you have before you of regeneration, it's the act of God, whereby the Holy Spirit imparts new spiritual life into the individual sinner who is dead, totally unable, in his, in his or her sins. This is an instantaneous act, and observed an expression of repentance and faith on the part of the person. So I, without any apology, uh, put the whole emphasis of the matter of regeneration in the hands of God. We are dead, totally dead, totally depraved, totally unable sinners who have to have the intervening act of God on our part. It is something he must do from beginning to end to give us new life, to bring us from our darkness into his marvelous light. We're going to move on with several other things that the Holy Spirit does for us as believers. Um, in doing that, these, these words will describe things that, you will know, describe the status that we have as a believer, describe the security we have as a believer, and the process of the ongoing matter of sanctification as a believer. Do we experience, put in quotation marks, feel, these events? No. Uh, There are some that we see the results of in our growing as a Christian, but they're not something that we are seeking out, nor are they something that we just have a feeling about happening. And the very first thing that happens to us, I believe, and again, as far as God is concerned. This is like an instantaneous act. This just happens in God's sight and God's mind. We might have some type of thinking back through the process and putting something together. Not these two acts, not regeneration and baptism, but some might have something to do that along the way. So baptism in the Holy Spirit, um, the disciples were told they would be, that John said, John the baptizer said he, that he was baptizing with water, but that Christ was going to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've had the opportunity, the privilege of seeing several, really, in the last few months, follow the Lord in water baptism. Uh, we've been reminded numerous times in those times that, you know, that this matter of someone being water baptized is, is uh, demonstrating two different things. Uh, they're demonstrating obedience, that that person is being obedient to the Lord. The Lord left us with the task of baptizing believers, so they're being obedient. But what they're doing in the process also of being baptized is that they're identifying with everyone else that's ever been baptized, every other believer that's ever been baptized before. They're putting on the same team uniform that all those other baptized believers have had down through the years. So they are not only being obedient, but they're taking a step to openly and publicly identify with their faith in the finished work of Christ. So baptism has that uh, tendency, that significance of, of identification along the way. And so the Holy Spirit takes us and baptizes us into the body of Christ. He identifies us with other, as the scripture started, as people started calling them in the the book of Acts, with other Christians. Um, That is seen, from our vantage point, that's seen in a person's change of life, in a person's desire to follow God, to pursue God, to, to study the scripture, to learn more about God um and so that is the holy spirit has done that in order to give us an identity and then we continue for again for however long we continue to manifest those characteristics and be seen as a believer because the holy spirit has baptized us into the body of christ he's he's doing that building the building the mystical church in the process of Building the, the body of Christ. Turn with me to a couple of references, and I got you probably confused or sleep or whatever. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> I, again, I'll read verse, from verse, verse 12. But the, as the body is one and has many members, but all members of that one body being many, are one body saw also as Christ, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So Christ, Paul here obviously emphasizing identity of believers regardless. Other places Paul says it doesn't matter whether you're free or slave, whether you're male or female, whether you're Greek or, or, or Hebrew, we become one in Christ. We lose we lose our prior identity, and become a new identity. Um, that is probably not as observable in our culture when somebody comes to to know Christ, um, but in other cultures it is just can I say night and day? Just a dark, just a you know, just a really really distinct contrast when somebody comes out of their old way of life, and I'm not saying we don't have that in, the, in our culture, I'm just saying it's probably sometimes not seen as boldly or clearly as it is in some other cultures, that that identity is so, so clear. And then turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> and it's going to be verse 5 that we're looking at, but I'll begin with verse 4. Ephesians 4, 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And again, the idea of the baptism here, it obviously is not clearly identified as being spirit baptism, but I think most will take it that way in the context of, of, of the Lord and the faith, it's, it's that, that way more than, rather than water baptism along the way here. So Christ takes us, the Holy Spirit, excuse me, takes us and baptizes us into the body of Christ, uh, and that body then, I, that act then identifies us as, as distinct and different. Let's look just at some pa- passages in Acts quickly before we close, uh, beginning with Acts chapter 1. This is just a very brief look at the act of the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit in relationship to the early church. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, um, Christ speaking here to the disciples You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then if you'll turn over to Acts 2 4. And it doesn't say baptism here, but again, just about everybody will take this as a uh, demonstration of the results of the baptizing work of the Spirit. Acts 2.4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now we're going to come back to the matter of sign gifts before we're all done with our study. And then on over to Acts chapter 10. And this is Peter dealing with Cornelius, while Peter was still Acts 10.44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard him speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Then they asked him to stay a few days. And then the next chapter, chapter 11, recounts the Jerusalem council when there was significant discussion about this whole matter of Gentiles being converted. Again, there was, in the Jewish mind, there was a very, very strong line drawn between themselves and anybody else. Everybody else was was a heathen, okay? But here we see as the early churches moving on and on developing further and further, more and more Gentile converts are being brought into the church, brought from their place into, into the church. Other thing facing this council, of course, was what expectations to put on the Gentiles since they did not have circumcision as, at a young, as boy, men did not have church, circumcision as a young boy, etc., etc., so they were, that, we were having to resolve that question too. Peter stands up, and this, is, this was something that then was, in Peter's mind, a very significant response to these concerns. We were told we were going to be baptized. We received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Obviously, there's all the things that have happened between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 11, including the work of the Holy Spirit in Samaria. But here Peter says, so when I went to when it, it explains why he went to Cornelius about the sheep being descended and, and everything and being told to go to this place. And in verse 15 of Acts 11, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then, he re, then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? So we looked at three, three different passages, four different passages, actually, um, and it took us to the last passage for Peter to clearly state here that they believed what act, happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, was the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1, verse 5. And so he identifies it that which happened in Acts 2.4 is the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit, which is demonstrated here in this last verse that I just read. So sometimes when we're studying the Scripture, we come on a verse like John 1.29. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Doesn't need any other verses, does it? Doesn't need any other explanation. It's This is the Lamb of God, which took away the sin of the world. We, came on, we come on a verse like when, when, when Christ was asking disciples, you know, who do pe- people say I am? And, and, and Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You could spend a lifetime talking about that verse. Just one, you know, verse here, or verse there, a very clear, dogmatic statement. Other times you have to study several passages and put the passage together to draw a conclusion. So that's why we just did the passage in Acts. Acts 2.4 doesn't say he was baptized, that that was the act of baptism. But Peter says in Acts chapter 11 that it was the act of the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes you have to take verses together, put them together to to form that. So I would just say as I close, and I need to close quickly since I'm over my allotted, my, my, my cutoff time, I cut off before anybody else does, but um, is that um, if you have believed, if you are believing today in the finished work of Christ, then I will say to you, you have already been baptized by the Holy Spirit. It happened at that moment when you were brought out of your darkness into the marvelous light by God's grace. And so it's not something we have to look for, and I know looking at you that you know this answer to this question. But it's not something you have to look for, it's something that's done. It's something that's finished. Because God, the Holy Spirit, already took us from our prior identity and identified us with the body of Christ, with Christ himself. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit of God. Thank you, I thank you for that time in my life when the Holy Spirit convicted me and then brought me to the point where he regenerated me and allowed me to express my faith in the finished work of Christ. In his name I pray, amen.